Now today I'm going to begin talking about the parables that Jesus taught in Mark chapter 4. Now they're also recorded in Matthew chapter 13, Luke chapter 8, but I'm going to be primarily in Mark chapter 4. And this is the parable of the sower sowing the seed and also another parable about just uh, how a seed grows, how the kingdom of heaven operates on this principle of a seed. And these two parables are some of the most foundational things that you could ever learn in your Christian life. As a matter of fact, when I was first getting started seeking the Lord, these are some scriptures that I mean made a profound impact on me and changed my life and set me on a course. They actually gave me like a track to run on. I knew that God had some awesome things for my life and I knew that there needed to be a tremendous amount of growth and change in my life and yet I just didn't know how to get started. I didn't know how to get from where I was to where I saw that God wanted me to go. And as I was seeking the Lord, God specifically spoke these parables to me. This is all the way back about 1972. I remember that because that's the year that I got married. And right after I got married, there is a significant thing that happened right concerning this uh, parable. And so I can remember that. It might have been 71 or 72 is when the Lord really started speaking these things into my life. And did you know that these are still truths that I refer to, if not on a daily basis, probably every other day, every two or three days, some of the truths that I've learned through these parables come back to me and they motivate me to keep doing things. I mean, they've just become interwoven into the fabric of my life. And I really believe that as we go through these parables and talk about this, if you can understand it, if you will open up your heart and let the Holy Spirit speak to you through this, this could become one of the most profound things that has ever impacted your life. I really believe that. I know that that's a uh, big claim, and it seems like that in our media day today, everybody claims that everything is the biggest, the best, the greatest, and because of this, we've gotten to where we kind of discount and uh, take everything with a grain of salt. But I am—I can back this up that in my life, I believe this is one of the most important things God has ever shown me. And so I believe that this, if you'll receive it, has the potential to make that same impact on you. Now again, Jesus was teaching this parable. I'm going to use primarily Mark chapter 4 and read these passages of Scripture. But actually, if you were to take... This right here is my Life for Today study Bible. And I know that many of you don't have one of these, but these are the four Gospels arranged in chronological order. And one of the benefits of that is that you actually get to see all of the Gospel accounts on one subject right there on one page. And so that really helps. And if you were to take this Bible, you would learn that there are actually ten parables that Jesus taught in one day. This is actually the most recorded information in one day of the life of Jesus that we have in all of the Word of God. Now, you don't get that if you just read through Matthew and then come back to Mark and then Luke and then John. But when you put them all together, you'll find out that in one day, Jesus taught ten parables about how the kingdom worked. And He started with this parable about the sower sowing the seed. So this is very, very important. So let's start reading in Mark chapter 4. And in verse 1 it says, He began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things 
by parables and said unto them in his doctrine. And then Jesus begins to teach what I call the parable of the sower sowing the seed. In verse 3 it says, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So this is basically the parable that Jesus gave. And it's just about a man who went out and sowed seed. Not sowing in the sense that many of us think where you, you know, dig furrows and you plant seeds one by one and things like this. But this is talking about the way that they did back then. A person would carry a, some kind of a sack, sack that would have all of the seed in it. And he would just walk through the fields and throw this seed and just let it land anywhere and everywhere. And this was talking about that there are basically four different types of ground that this seed fell on. The first type of ground was a place where, um, let's see, in verse 4 it says that some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. In other words, this is a place that the seed never even got below the surface of the ground. The birds came and ate it before it ever took root. The second type of ground was a place where the seed did begin to get down inside of the ground, but there was so much rock, there was so much stone in the place that there was no depth of earth, and so the the, uh, seed simply didn't produce properly. The third type of ground is where it did have a good depth of earth. It began to produce, but there were weeds and things that choked the seed and and, uh, limited the fruit that it was able to produce. And then the fourth type of ground is the type of ground where it uh, brought forth some up to a hundredfold return on that seed that was sown. So anyway, this is the parable in a nutshell. Now, after he gave the parable, it says that his disciples came unto him and asked him for an interpretation of this parable. In other words, this parable was just about how to sow seed and how that seed germinates and produces fruit. And they knew that there had to be some spiritual application, but they didn't know what it was. So they asked for the interpretation of this parable. And uh, they also asked this. They said, why do you speak unto these people in parables? Now, if you'll have to see that question over in Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. After he got through this parable, it says, His disciples came and said unto him, Why do you speak unto them in parables? And here's the answer that Jesus gave. This is Matthew chapter 13, verse 11. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I unto them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Basically, here's what I get out of his words here, is that people have become so hardened towards God. Their thinking is so inconsistent with the way God intended us to be, 
that they just can't understand spiritual truth. They are spiritually dull. Now, Jesus went on to say this in Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 15. He says, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. Now, this is an amazing statement. And Jesus was speaking about a group of people 2,000 years ago. But I tell you what, I believe that this is descriptive of our day and age, if not as much, maybe even more so of us than it was of those people back then. But notice he said this. He says, this people's hearts is waxed gross. Now, the wording here is very important. He says that their heart has waxed gross. You know, if you look at that, that literally, that word here is talking about it's a progressive, step-by-step, incremental uh, progression of things. A person's heart doesn't just boom instantly like that, turn against God and become insensitive and unable to hear from God. It's a process. And that word, waxed, literally is taken from the way that wax candles are made. I don't know if any of you have ever watched this, but I've been to some of these craft type things where they make candles the old-fashioned way and they take a wick. And I've seen some of these things where they'll have as many as, you know, 20, 50 or whatever wicks hanging from this little grid work and they just dip it in hot wax. They just keep dipping those wicks in there and they'd put layer upon layer upon layer of that wax on there until eventually you had this wax candle. Well, that's the way that our hearts have become through a process of just being dominated. It doesn't have to be with totally ungodly things, but just dominated with the things of this world to where we are so focused on all of the tragedy, the news, the uh, entertainment, all of the things that are going on. Layer after layer after layer, we have insulated ourselves against spiritual thinking. We live and move in a physical world. And I tell you, there's not very many people who really spend much time in the Word of God, with God, in communion, and letting their heart hear and exercise and and, uh, learn spiritual things. We just become so consumed with physical things that after a while, layer after layer after layer of neglect has come in. And it has literally hindered the way that we think. So one of the things that the Lord was saying, one of the reasons He taught in parables is because people's hearts have become so gross. They have waxed so gross. Their ears are hard of hearing. They have eyes, but they can't see. And because of this, the Lord just can't speak to a lot of people today because they are so carnal, there isn't any spirituality in them that allows them to be able to receive. Now, I believe that inside of every person there is a spark, there's a potential for that, but I'm saying it has to be developed and most people spend virtually zero time focused on the things of the Lord. And because of that, they've just become spiritually dull and there's no way that the Lord can speak to some people. So he puts these things out in parables. But he went on to say also to these disciples that they had a special anointing from the Lord that enabled them to decipher and to learn these spiritual things. So here's the second purpose of the Lord speaking in parables. Basically, it was like it was in code or something. It was hidden from the people who didn't have ears to hear, people who didn't seek God, who didn't have a heart for God. Those people who just look at this as foolishness and totally reject it and do away with it. But to those who had a heart for God, the Holy Spirit 
is given to specifically decode or explain these truths to us. That's the point that he was making. And he said this to his disciples. He says but in verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Verse 17, For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. And so this is very important. He's explaining that they have a special anointing. Here's another way of saying it over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. It says, You have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. The Holy Spirit is sent to specifically teach us and explain to us things that we can't know with just our natural mind. In other words, what I'm trying to say through all of this is that the parable that the Lord has given is in the, it's a physical, natural example that the Lord used of things that people could understand. They dealt with. It was an agricultural society. And so they were used to this thing of seeing people sow seed and they understood they lived close to the ground in a sense. And so they knew this. But there was a spiritual significance behind it and the Holy Spirit was given specifically to make these things come alive to these people. And brothers and sisters, the same thing is true today. The Word of God is like this. You know, some people say, well, why is the Word written the way that it is? Why didn't the Lord just come straight forward out and say all of these things and tell us all of this? The truth is that we don't have the ability with our little peanut brain in our physical minds to understand the spiritual things that God was trying to communicate with us. And so He had to put it in this form. But the Holy Spirit has been given to every one of us to explain the Word of God. And you know, when I hear people come against the Word and criticizing and saying, well, the Bible is so hard to understand. Well, I can understand that in the sense that if you're reading it only with your physical mind, if you're reading the Bible the way that you read a secular book, a mystery novel, a book, you know, that it's in school, and if you're reading it with just your mind, trying to figure things out with just your peanut brain, well then, yes, I believe that the Word of God would be hard. But you know what? When you read it with your heart, and I know that some of you are going to struggle. You know, I'm having the same problem right here trying to explain this to you that I felt like the Lord had, and that's the reason He began to start using parables, is because it's just hard for some people to grasp these spiritual truths. But you can read the Bible with your heart. The Bible isn't written to your head. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not logical. That doesn't mean that it's incorrect. It doesn't mean that it's senseless. It just isn't our carnal, natural mind. It's different than the natural things that this world teaches us. But the Lord wrote the Word of God to a person's heart. If you would take the Word of God and begin to read it, and you may not understand with your little peanut brain everything that you're reading, but if you would read something and then just sit there and say, Father... I don't understand this. What does this mean? And you begin to start just meditating and opening your heart up and out of your heart saying, God, I want to know you. I want to know what your word has to say. I guarantee you, God's word will go to speaking to you. Some of you that have experienced this, you instantly know what I'm talking about. You may not be able to verbalize it any better than what I'm doing, but you know that, man, there's things that you know that are beyond what you just read words on a page. It's what God is speaking to you in your heart. 
But then there's others of you that struggle to understand this. And I'm telling you, the greatest, I think one of the greatest things in my Christian life is the ability to take the Word of God and to read it with my brain. I'm reading it, looking at the pages. I'm reading it with my mind. But then I go beyond just my mind and I let my heart listen. And God speaks to me. And the Word of God comes alive. And God literally speaks to me. Life is literally pumped into me through the Bible. Many of you have never experienced that. If you haven't, I tell you, you're missing one of the greatest experiences that ever was. This parable on the sower sowing the seed transformed my life. These truths that I'm beginning to share with you are some of the most important things, foundational things that God has ever shown me. If you don't have these passages of Scripture about the sower sowing the seed, if these aren't some of your favorite scriptures, scriptures that have just transformed your life, then you are missing out on one of the key things in the Christian life. I really believe that. As a matter of fact, Jesus basically said this. After he had given the parable, his disciples says, why are you speaking to these people in parables? And he explained that. And then he said this in Mark chapter 4, verse 13. He said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? You know what he's saying here? He says, if you don't understand this parable, if you can't get the interpretation and the application to your personal life of this parable, then you can't understand any of his parables. You can't understand his teaching. In other words, this is critical. This is kind of like what I call the Rosetta Stone of the Bible. I don't know if some of you relate to that, but you know, I remember when I was in school, for some reason, that little teaching about the Rosetta Stone just stood out to me that uh, for, I don't know, over a hundred years or something like that, archaeologists had been uh, excavating things in Egypt. They found all of the Egyptian hieroglyphics, but they didn't have a key to unlocking what those hieroglyphics meant. Nobody knew the language. There was a tremendous amount of uh, recorded uh, information by the Egyptians, but it was all in the Egyptian hieroglyphics and nobody knew how to read it until one day they found this stone and they called it the Rosetta Stone. I don't know why they named it that. It's probably the location of where it was or something. But this Rosetta Stone had all of the Egyptian hieroglyphics on one side of this tablet, but then there was also Greek and I think that there might have been Latin. It was three languages, the exact same text in three different languages. And because of that, they were able to find out what the Egyptian hieroglyphics meant because they had the Latin and the Greek equivalents on that exact same tablet. So once they got that, that was the key that unlocked the entire language and they were able to go back and now... People can read the Egyptian hieroglyphics and understand all of these things, all of these records that were left for us. Well, in a sense, that's the way that this parable of the sower sowing the seed is. This Lord here is saying, don't you know this parable? If you don't know this parable, how will you understand any of the parables? In other words, this is the key to understanding all of the teachings, all of the parables that Jesus gave. Jesus himself said, this is the key. If you understand this parable, you can understand any of them. If you don't understand this parable, you won't understand any of them. Boy, now that's powerful. So you take all of this, what Jesus said, and this means that this is a foundational 
teaching of Jesus. This is something that every person, if you want to prosper in the kingdom of God, you've got to learn these truths. And not just learn them, but I mean these have to become fundamental, foundational truths that you operate in and that your life is based on. So again, I say that if Mark chapter 4 or Matthew chapter 13, Luke chapter 8, where it gives this parable of the sower sowing the seed, if these scriptures aren't some of the most important scriptures in your life, some of the things that God has spoken unto you, then I can guarantee that's one reason you do not have a clear understanding of the Bible. That's one reason you don't know how the kingdom of God works and that you're dependent upon having to go to someone else and asking them for help because you have no uh, ability on your own to understand. You have to depend upon other people who have developed themselves and learned how to relate to the Lord. If you will learn these scriptures, I guarantee you it'll change your life. And I can just hear somebody saying, all right, you've sold me. Get on with it. Tell me these truths. But I tell you... It's not hard to understand the things of God. The hardest thing is getting people to listen. So here's the interpretation of this parable and here's the applications to our life. Mark chapter 4 in verse 14. It says, The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So that basically this is the entire parable right here. It's just Jesus talking about a man who took seed, began to start throwing it everywhere is the way that they sowed seed in those days. And as he threw this seed... The seed landed on basically four different types of ground and he goes to talking about how these four different types of ground responded or allowed this seed to germinate or forbid it from germinating. And so that's what the parable is about. Now, of course, the real purpose of this parable isn't to teach you how to be a farmer, how to sow seed. It's just taking a natural thing that we can relate to and using it to illustrate spiritual spiritual principles. And here in verse 14, this is kind of the key to this entire parable. It says the sower sows the word. Here's the way that Luke says it in Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. It says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So this whole parable really isn't about how to be a farmer and get a crop. The the parable is about how the kingdom of God works and it works off of the word of God. Now, this is going to be so simple. I say this often, but I I feel like I have to say it because people are always looking for something deeper and more complex. But this is so simple, you're going to have to have somebody to help you to misunderstand this. But this is basically just talking about that the whole kingdom of God, you could say that the Christian life, your victory, your success in the Christian life is as simple as taking the Word of God and sowing it in your heart 
And if you will just cooperate with it and let the Word of God germinate, you will change effortlessly. Now, I believe that there are very specific reasons why Jesus chose to use a seed to illustrate the way the Word of God works. And it's because there is a great uh, comparison between the way a physical seed operates in the natural realm and the way that the Word of God works in our life. You know, in the same way that in the natural realm, if you never planted a garden, if you didn't till the ground, if you didn't plant seeds, if you didn't do all of the things necessary to grow a garden, well, then you wouldn't be surprised if a garden didn't grow up in your life. As a matter of fact, if a person was expecting a garden to grow and they had put no effort into it, they didn't buy any seeds, they didn't sow any seeds, and if they didn't do this effort, you would think a person would be crazy to be disappointed that they don't have a garden if they never planted any seeds. I think everybody agrees with that. Everybody understands that. But in the spiritual realm, this happens constantly. That people are wondering, why aren't I healed? How come I haven't been uh, prospered? How come God hasn't answered this prayer? How come my relationships are falling apart? How come I can't hold down a job? How come nothing in my life seems to ever work? They've been praying and they've been asking God, but they haven't taken the Word of God and the promises in the Word of God and sown those truths in their life. Many people, if you were to go to them and they say, well, I prayed and I have asked God to heal me. And I'd say, well, what scriptures are you standing on for being healed? What promises are in context of what we're talking about? What seed from God's word have you put into your life to produce that healing? And so you ask people and they say, well, I don't, I don't know what the word says. I just know that it's God's will. I believe that God wants to heal me. But you don't have a scripture to stand on. You don't know a promise. Now, I believe that there is benefit in knowing the address to every promise in the Word of God. For instance, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, it says, He bore our sorrows, carried our grief, and by His stripes we are healed. And then in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, that's interpreted and it says that it's not just talking about spiritual, emotional type of healing, but it says He bore our infirmities and carried our sicknesses. I believe it's important to know where those verses are because it helps you, specifically it helps you to be able to uh, share it with other people. But I'll, I'll compromise on this thing. You may not know the exact place in Scripture You may not have the address. You may have to go refresh your memory and look something up. But I tell you, those truths, those revelations ought to be yours. It ought to be so that when you're sick and you're laying on your bed and you're ready to just puke your guts out and you're crying out to God for help and stuff and you say, God, I know that somewhere in the Bible it says that you want to heal me. You know what? That's not sufficient. That's not the way that it works. That's like a person who hasn't planted a garden and yet is praying for a harvest. You know what? That's not going to happen. And I can tell you that one reason that most people are not experiencing the victory that they are praying for and desiring and begging and pleading with God to give them, the number one reason people aren't receiving that is because they literally have not taken the truths of God's Word and planted those truths in their heart. 
That's the reason that the Lord is using this kind of a parable. He says that the sower is sowing the Word of God. The seed that he's talking about is not the physical seed, but rather he's talking about the Word of God is like a seed. If you want healing in your life, take the Scriptures that talk about healing. Take the examples where people were healed. Look up every scripture in the Bible of healing. Take those things. Meditate on those scriptures. And then the scripture says in Proverbs chapter 4, I believe it's around verse 20 or 22, it says that God's word is health to all of your flesh and life to those that find them. You know what? God's word, if you will take it like a seed and begin to plant it in your heart, it will literally begin to start releasing supernatural healing into your life. Psalms 107 verse 20 says that God sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from all of their destructions. God's Word will bring healing to you. And I'm not saying these things to scold anybody. I'm trying to be forceful with this because I believe that this is an issue that people are missing big time. I'm telling you the kingdom of God works off of these principles that the Word of God is a seed Just like in the natural realm, you have to have seeds and plant seeds. You can't have a forest without having those seeds planted. You can't have victory in your life without the Word of God being planted in your heart. That is tight, but it's right. It's simple, but it's true. And the kingdom works this way. And if you are really listening with your heart, if you aren't in pride being offended because I'm telling you the truth, But if you were to humble yourself and receive this truth that I'm telling you, you know what? This should provide you with an answer to why you aren't seeing any more victory in your life and you aren't seeing the power of God work. Because the average person is not meditating in the Word of God, is not spending quality and quantity amounts of time in the Word of God. The average person does not have a good understanding of the Word of God. And some people say, well, how can you say that? Because I deal with thousands and thousands and thousands of people and I can guarantee you nearly every person that comes to me with their sad story, and I'm not meaning to demean people, make fun of them, but I'm saying most of the people who come to me crying and complaining, you could take their knowledge of the Word of God and put it in a thimble and it would be nearly empty. They don't know what the Word of God says. Or they might say, well, so-and-so, my pastor said that I believe somewhere that the Bible says this. That's not going to get you healed. The Word of God has to be revelation to you. It's got to be alive to you. You haven't taken the promises like a seed and planted them in your heart and meditated on them and seen the Word of God work. And you're wondering, why isn't God answering my prayer? He's given us these seeds. That's like a man saying, praying over the ground and saying, God, how come you haven't let this garden grow? But you didn't plant the seeds. God's established natural laws. He's not going to break them. God has established spiritual laws. He will not break them. He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them of all of their destructions. It says through the Word of God, all of this revelation about how God wants us to prosper and stuff, you have to take God's Word and start planning it in your life. You know, a good friend of mine said that one of the reasons that the Lord used this parable about a man sowing a seed is because this is a natural system versus a social system. See, social systems can be broken. They can be manipulated. 
like all of us have been through school and we didn't really study for our test the way we should and we waited and goofed off with our friends. And then the night before the exam, we get in and stay up all night long and cram for a final. And we were able to pass the test and get a grade and graduate, but we really broke the system. We didn't learn the material. It isn't retained in our long-term memory. We just circumvented things. But you know what? You can't do that with a natural system. You know, there was actually a man in one of my Bible studies that I used to hold. This guy was uh, in that area, in that county. He was probably one of the worst sinners of anybody in the whole county. I mean, he was a drunk, a womanizer. He did anything and everything. And then he got miraculously born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I mean, just as much as he had served the devil, he served God with his whole heart. And this guy was, I mean, everybody... Everybody in this county was aware of what had happened to this man. And he couldn't go into a store. He couldn't go anywhere with people recognizing the transformation. So he had so many opportunities to witness. He started talking to everybody about the Lord. He opened up his home and had a Bible study, allowed me to come in and teach. And I started teaching. And I mean, he had 60 or 70 people come to this Bible study just to see the change that had happened to this man. And so anyway, he had tremendous zeal, but he made some serious mistakes. He didn't have very much knowledge of the Word, and one of them was that he got on the full gospel businessman circuit. He started traveling and giving his testimony, and combined with all of the things he was doing in his church, he just didn't have time to plant his crops the way that he normally did. This guy owned sections of land. They didn't count their land in acres. They counted it in sections, 640 acres to one section. And so he owed, owned thousands of acres of land, and he just didn't have time to plant his wheat crop because he was out busy. He was busy giving his testimony for the Lord and witnessing to people. But since he was loving the Lord and since his desire was right and since his heart was right and all of these things were good, this guy just supposed that God would supernaturally bless him and he would have a crop even though he didn't take time to sow it. And finally, about, I don't know, three weeks or something before everybody else harvested their wheat, their wheat was already up. It had already begun to start turning golden colored. They were getting ready to harvest. About that time, this man went out and borrowed $500,000 to buy wheat seed That'll show you how much land he had to plant. And he spent weeks planting half a million dollars worth of wheat just days before the harvest was supposed to come. And he thought that God would just grant him a supernatural harvest because he had been out doing the Lord's work. Well, of course, it didn't happen. And when he didn't get his crop to grow up, when he didn't harvest his wheat and he had lost all of this money and he was in jeopardy of going bankrupt, he came to me and wanted prayer and he was mad saying, I don't understand why God didn't give me this harvest. And I had to tell him, I said, that is not the way that the kingdom works. You have to plant your seed at a certain time and give it time to grow and mature. And these are just natural laws. And he says, but I know that that's the way that it works. He says, I've been doing this for years. But he said, I thought that since I was in the Spirit that things would just work differently. See, what he's doing is really verbalizing what a lot of people think. 
They think in the natural realm that you're bound by physical, natural laws and certain things have to happen. But in the spiritual realm, they just think that if I'm sincere and if I'm really in need and if I mean it with all of my heart, they're expecting results to come. I'm telling you, this parable is saying that in the same way that there are laws that govern how a physical, natural seed has to be planted and germinate, there are laws that govern the spiritual realm, and one of them is that the Word of God is a seed. If you want results, if you want fruit in your life, whether it's in your marriage, other relationships, finances, health, in your emotions, whatever it is, if you are wanting a certain result, take the seed, the Word of God that speaks about those things, those promises, plant it in your life, and if you will give it the proper nourishment and take care of it the way that this parable tells us to do, then I guarantee you it's inevitable that you will reap the fruit that you want. That is so simple, you have to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. But you know what? Most people honestly do not follow that mindset. Most people just pray. They go and they wait until they're already in a crisis situation and then they want God to pull them out by a miracle and they get offended, upset, or into disbelief if they don't see the right results. That's just as stupid. Pardon me for being blunt, but that's just as stupid as the farmer who waits to plant his crop a week before it's due to harvest and then gets upset with God because the laws didn't work. There's nothing wrong with the natural laws. You just have to cooperate with them. There's nothing wrong with spiritual laws. You just have to learn to cooperate with them. You have to learn what they are. And I'm telling you, one of the things that this parable teaches that is so foundational in my life is that if I want this results, I go to the Word of God, take the seeds, the promises that talk about what will produce that results and I start meditating on them and then boom, it comes to pass. Here's another thing that really ministered to me out of this parable. When I was first getting started, I mean one of the very first scriptures that the Lord showed me was this parable about the sower sowing the seed. And the thing that blessed me out of this was that it was the seed, the word that produces fruit, not the ground. Now that's important. Now, the ground has a part to play, and we're going to talk about this, but really what the ground can do, the ground can either allow the seed to have its full, complete work and produce a harvest, or the ground can hinder, it can choke, it can stop the Word of God from working. But it is not the ground itself that produces the fruit, it's the seed. In the spiritual comparison, what that's saying is that our hearts are not the thing that is really going to make us successful or not. Our heart is where we either allow the Word of God to have its complete rule or we can let our heart be choked with things like cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things can choke the Word. Our hearts can become hardened towards God and not give a seed a place to germinate. Our heart can do those things, but the point I'm trying to get across is that it's the Word of God, it's the seed that brings forth fruit. All I am is like ground. I'm just dirt, just a place for the seed to germinate. I provide warmth and I provide nutrients, but it's the Word that's going to produce. And what this spoke to me was, it was just a confirmation to me 
that, you know what, even though I don't have all of the natural things that other people had going for them, I don't have the education, I don't have the charisma, the talents, the good looks, all of these other things that other people have, did you know what, it just spoke to me that it's the Word of God that is going to change my life and change other people's lives through my ministry. And I mean, God spoke that to me through this. I don't know if you get the significance of that, but boy, this is one of the main things that has just worked in my life. You may not have made this connection either, but if you would notice my program, my television program or my radio program and compare it with other programs, you'll find out that we come on with about a 10 to 20 second tease where I talk about the subject at the beginning. We have about a 10 second time of my wife and I walking through the Aspens where they say, welcome to the gospel truth. And within 30 seconds, you are getting the Word of God. And I'm talking the Word of God. And we're quoting Scripture and we're teaching the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying that to compare myself or criticize somebody else. I'm making this point that the Lord has given me a revelation that it is not who I am and it is not what I look like or it's not all of these other things. It's the Word of God that is changing people's lives. And so if you would just pay attention, if you would notice, you see this in everything that we do. My monthly letters that I put out are chuck full of the Word of God. I mean, if you poke me, the Word of God comes out. I'm just, everything in my life is centered around the Word of God and it's working And I'm telling you, I believe that this is the attitude that this parable teaches. The Word of God has to be planted in your heart for you to effectively change. And if you would do it that way, it'll be just as normal, as natural, as like when you plant a seed in the ground and then something grows out of it. In the same way, if you would take the Word of God and meditate in it day and night, it would change you. It would just transform your life. That's what this parable is teaching. So basically, there's four different types of ground that this seed was sown in. This corresponds to four different types of people's hearts. The Word of God has to be sown in your heart. That's what this ground is representative of. And out of these four different types of ground, only one out of four begin to start really producing fruit. And you know, here is a little... um, analogy that I don't know for sure that I can say that this parable is teaching this. I may be reading too much into it, but I think that there is at least some type of parallel here. And that is that I have been in churches by the hundreds. I've spoken in many, many churches, been associated with this for a long time. And I've heard this often, that there's about 20 to 25 percent of the church that does all of the ministry, all of the giving that actually makes the church work. There's about three-fourths of the people that come to church that are just kind of spectators. They aren't actual players in the kingdom of God. That would correspond directly to what this parable is teaching. One out of four types of people that had the Word sown in their heart really begin to produce fruit. I can say that the same thing happens in our Bible college. We have about 25% of the people who are going to really take the things that they're learning and, I mean, change their world with it. Now, we have a lot more than that that uh, graduate, and they may go out and it may affect them to some degree. But I'm saying there's about 25% of our Bible college people that are going to go out and make it to where this uh, experience here at Karis Bible College 
is used to change their life and then they go out and change other people's lives. And on and on you could go. And nearly any type of organization, anything that you do, it's about 25% of the people who really carry the load and make things work. And in this parable, one-fourth, 25% of the seed that was sown actually brought forth fruit. And it wasn't because the seed was the problem. Over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, the scripture there refers to the Word of God and calls it the incorruptible seed. It is an incorruptible seed. If you sow seed in the ground, sometimes you just get bad seed. The seed's been tainted, it was rotten or something like that. It's lost the life in it. And it is possible for you in the natural realm to get bad seed and plant it and you don't get the desired results because the seed was bad. But in the spiritual realm, God's Word is the seed and it's an incorruptible seed. God's Word will work the same for any single person. The seed wasn't the variable in any of these four instances. It was the ground. Now that is very important. That's very, very important. Sometimes I'll hear people come back and say things, well, like I took the Word of God and I meditated on it and I confessed the Word and it didn't work for me. You know what you're saying? You're saying that the seed was corruptible, that the seed doesn't work the same for everybody. This parable is teaching exactly the opposite. God's Word is an incorruptible seed. It's never the Word that fails to work. It's the people who fail to work it. It's the people's hearts who don't allow the Word to generate and release its full potential. Now, as we go through this parable, we're going to be pointing out some of those things that can hinder the Word of God from working in your life. But see, this is another gem, another truth that you need to get out of this parable. And this needs to become something that is established in your life that you never deviate from. It is non-negotiable. You never question this. It's just one of these things that is unquestionable. It's an actual fact that you never think about anything contrary, and that is that God's Word is uncorruptible. It's incorruptible. It always works. God's Word never fails. We may fail to understand it and to properly apply it and to correspond to the things that it tells us to do, but God's Word never fails. And again, when I was a very, very young Christian... And just getting started, this is one of the things that I got out of this parable that just ignited me and my faith began to go through the roof. I believed with all of my heart that God's Word would change my life and all I had to do was take God's Word and meditate in it and it would do the rest. Because I believed it's an incorruptible seed. And because of that, I can tell you, my life has totally transformed. In my finances, I'm a totally different person than I used to be. In my physical body and health, I'm walking in a health and I've seen other people miraculously healed and things because of God's Word that I've meditated on. In my emotions, I'm a different person because of God's Word. It's changed my emotions. It's changed my relationships with people. I can trace anything that God's done in my life back to the Word of God. Man, that is powerful. And that's what this parable is teaching. The very first type of soil, the very first type of person that the Lord talks about is in Mark chapter 4, verse 15. And it says, These are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. 
Man, there is so much in every one of these verses. But let me just say this. This shows you that when the word is sown, Satan comes immediately to steal the word that was planted in your heart. You know, when you start talking about how that the word of God is like a seed, that if you will take the word and plant it in your heart, you'll see these miraculous results. Some people just think, well, man, this is the answer. And so all I've got to do is take the word of God and all of my problems are over. Well, no, that's not true. It's actually more accurate to say once you take the Word of God and commit yourself to it and start getting in the Word of God and making it to where you are going to know the Word of God for yourself, it's more like all of your problems have just begun. And I know some of you may not like what I'm saying. You're saying, well, why would you say something like that? Because Satan isn't really against you. He knows that you on your own are a zero. You aren't going to be a threat to him or to anybody else. I don't care who you are, how much you think you are, you are not going to change this world and be a powerful impact for the Lord. But if the Word of God ever starts taking root on the inside of you and growing up and producing, Satan has had it. Satan is petrified at the Word of God. And Satan is going to come against the Word of God immediately and start trying to steal it out of your heart. And some people are probably thinking, well, if that's true, then I won't even get into the Word of God because I don't want to be a target for the devil. I'm not saying that you're going to lose. I'm winning, but it's not without a fight. I'm just trying to say that once you make a commitment to stand on the Word of God and that the Word of God is going to be number one in your life... I'm saying don't be deceived into thinking that all of your problems are over. They've just begun. But if you will continue to stand on the Word of God and not give in, you'll win. You'll be a winner, but it won't be without effort. Let's read this over in Matthew's account of this same thing. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, it says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Now, Matthew just states this just a little bit differently. The wayside is talking about a place that where you've had a lot of people walking. In other words, it's packed down, compacted dirt, and instead of the seed being able to sink into the ground and take root and germinate, it just laid on the surface. And Satan is described here as the fowls of the air. Just like a bird, if you were to throw seed on hard-packed ground and it didn't get down inside of the ground, birds would come and eat that seed off of the ground. Well, in the same way, if the Word doesn't penetrate and get into a person's heart, Satan comes immediately and steals that Word from them. Out of the four different types of people that the Lord described in this parable, the only type of person that Satan had total access to to just steal the word from them is this first type of person. And specifically, it says here in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, it says, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. In other words... It's saying that understanding is the thing that allows the seed, the Word, to sink down and get on the inside of you. Understanding is like a door that allows the Word to come into your life. If there isn't understanding, then the Word is never going to germinate. 
So the Word of God has to be spoken in such a way that it's easy to understand. Now that is a powerful truth. That's a very simple truth. But you would be amazed. Some of you probably aren't as amazed. I mean, you you agree 100% with what I'm about to say. But it's amazing to me how that some people have tried to make the words so difficult. I've actually heard some preachers that think that if they will go into these tangents and get into this and into the Hebrew and the Greek, and again, there's a place for those kind of things. But I'm saying some people have made the words so difficult and so intellectual that you know what? An average person can't understand it. I don't see that in the life of Jesus. Matter of fact, I see Jesus doing just the opposite. This very parable that we're talking about. Jesus took something that was easily understood by every person. They were in an agricultural type of uh, society. Every one of them had sown seeds. They lived in this realm. They, he took something very simple that people could relate to and taught And yet I see people all of the time that somehow or another think that it's a sign of their intelligence if they can use words that nobody understands. And if they can talk in a way that you have to go use a dictionary or you have to go get an interpretation to be able to understand what they've said. There's some people that actually think that that is great ministry. I believe it's just the opposite. I believe that if you are really well-versed, if you really uh, understand things properly then you should be able to explain it in a way that anybody can understand it. Now, I don't know that I achieved that, but that's one of my goals. And I have a lot of people write in and say things about that. Man, I make the Word of God so simple that they're able to understand it. They can't understand some other people. But I believe that this is one of the keys. You've got to speak the Word in ways that people can understand it. Understanding is that doorway that allows the Word to get into your heart. If there is an understanding on your part then the Word is going to be just immediately stolen from you. Satan is going to come and steal it away. The only way that the only type of person that Satan has total access to, 100% access, that he can just steal the Word from them without any effort are the people who don't understand. So you've got to get understanding. The Apostle Paul said this. He says, I become all things to all men so that I might by all means win some. And I do this same thing. When I go into another culture... When I'm over in the UK, when I'm over, I've been into Romania, all of the Eastern Bloc countries, I've been to Africa. When you go into a different culture, you use things that are specific to their situation. And the reason you do that is all in an attempt to get people to understand. I tell you, this is very important that you understand this because it's like, you know, if I could put food in your mouth, But if somehow or another you could just let that food stay in your mouth and never swallow it, never get it down on the inside of you to where you begin to digest it, you could literally starve to death with food in your mouth if somehow or another you didn't get it down on the inside of you. And it's the same thing. There are people who've heard the Word of God, but they don't understand it. They hear Scriptures, but they don't even have a clue what it means. There is no spiritual understanding on the inside. And if that's so then it's not going to release any of its life, any of its nourishment into your life. In the book of Proverbs, it says wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and with all you're getting, get understanding. You not only have to have the right information, but you have to have enough understanding to be able to apply that and to put it into practice in your life. 
And this is where a lot of people miss it. If you are a person that you can hear, like my television program, or you can go to church and you can hear somebody minister, and, uh, you know, it sounds good to you, but when you leave there within 30 minutes or an hour, you couldn't even tell a person what the preacher was talking about. You didn't get a thing out of it. One of two things has to have happened. Either the minister isn't ministering properly, or you don't have the understanding to be able to take those truths and put them into your life. And Satan just steals this word from you by the time you get out the back door of the church. I tell you, that's not a good situation. You've got to get to where the Word of God has understanding in your life. And this doesn't happen on just a casual reading of the Bible or just a listening to another person's sermon. You have to focus on it. You know, I was reading through some things. We, we had a devotion with my uh, employees here about a month or so ago, and I was teaching on these exact same things about how important the Word of God is. And because of that, uh, we had some people say, well, we would like a Bible reading program. So anyway, we now have a Bible reading program that our employees are going through. And uh, it just so happens that this last week, some of the scriptures that they've been reading are Exodus chapter uh, 30 uh, in that area. And these are about the priest garments and about the way that the tabernacle was supposed to be uh, developed and the colors and the uh, couplings and all of these kind of things and things that really to most people aren't very interesting. And as I was reading that, and we've just started this Bible reading thing, I was thinking some of my employees are probably going to get bored reading this because it doesn't seem exciting to them and they're just going to read through this and not think about it and I was thinking of these exact things that if you don't understand Satan just takes that truth out of your life and as I was going through this in Exodus chapter 30 I'm not going to take time to turn over there and read this but there's a statement there about anytime you give a tax or anytime you number the people you have to assign a tax of half a shekel per male and if you don't do that there will be a plague among the people Now, that may seem like an insignificant passage of Scripture, but see, if you would stop and just think as you read every passage of Scripture, the Bible says, I believe it's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Every Scripture can benefit you. Do you know that little truth about if you number the people of Israel and don't take this tax from all of the males, a plague will come among you? Did you know that that's the key that unlocks 2 Samuel chapter 24 and 1 Chronicles chapter 21 where it talks about David numbering the people of Israel and because he did it, a plague from God came on these people. If you don't put that together with those scriptures in Exodus chapter 30 and understand these things properly, you'll look over here and say, God, why did you do this? And then they'll say, God's so hard to understand. It's because people don't take scriptures and meditate on it. I hope you understand the point that I'm making. You can either just read through the Bible and because it's not something that you're interested in at the moment, you can just let it go in one ear and out the other and Satan comes and steals the benefit. Or you can sit there and say, I know that every scripture is profitable for doctrine and for reproof. There's something for me to learn in every one. And you can take that scripture and open up your heart and meditate on it and let understanding come fit the pieces together, and then Satan can't steal it from you. Understanding, spiritual understanding, an ability to connect the dots, 
not just have pieces of information, but put them together in a way that it begins to start making sense and your life starts working. That comes from within. It is something that comes up from the Spirit. God's Spirit quickens it to us. And I can't overemphasize how important it is. You know, I've, I've, uh, when I first started in ministry, I thought that if I just ministered the Word properly, that every person that sat under my ministry was going to be totally changed. And so I put a tremendous amount of effort into seeking the Lord, making sure I had the right truth, I had clarity in saying it, I'd pray and believe I was anointed, and all of these kind of things. And then uh, during the 70s, uh, late 70s, I was in a situation where I was doing a circuit of Bible studies in three states each week. I was doing six Bible studies a week in Oklahoma and New Mexico and Colorado, and I was doing this circuit. And I would teach the exact same truth in each one of these Bible studies, trying to keep the people growing at the same rate and basically on the same page spiritually. And I began to learn as I traveled that, you know what, I would just preach my heart out. I'd see one person that had an incurable disease receive the Word and get totally healed and set free, and the person next to them fall asleep and not get a thing out of it. The next person sit there and look like they're bored to death. And then the person on the other side of them, man, they're getting revelation. Their life is being changed. And you know, after a period of time, my lightning fast mind began to figure out that it couldn't be me that is saying the different words, you know, to these people because they're all sitting in the same service. They're hearing the exact same words. Everything from me is the same. And yet... This one gets transformed, another one falls asleep, one's bored, another one over here is being healed. And How could all of these things be happening out of these one words? And I begin to realize it's not just the word that I speak, but it's the condition of people's hearts. And just like this first type of person that Jesus is describing, I have seen this happen very many times, that you just preach your heart out and the word of God just goes in one ear and comes out the other. It's like they had no heart, no understanding for the Word whatsoever. And you know, I've quit taking that personal. I've realized that it's not just the way I speak, it's the way people hear. Some of you may be one of those that's sitting there saying, well, I never get anything out of any of this stuff. It may not be the person who's speaking. It could be the way you're hearing. And it has to do with whether or not you're opening up your heart and really desiring to know these things. You know, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness you will be filled. If you desire, the scripture says in Matthew chapter 19, that the word of God is more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. If you get to where you want to know these things, more than you desire food, more than you desire wealth, I guarantee you, you'll get it. The problem is that a lot of us, just every once in a while, maybe once a week or something, have a little twins for five minutes where we would like to understand and, and be operating more spiritually, but then we get occupied with everything else and just, you know, if that's the way you are, uh, you aren't ever going to have this understanding. It is not God that determines the condition of your heart. You're the one that determines the condition of your heart. And it basically just boils down to where your focus is. If you are focused on the Lord, if you are hungry and seeking after the Lord, desiring these things, you will be filled. That's just how simple it is. 
If you find yourself in this first category, this first type of person that the Word of God, it just doesn't mean anything to you. You can hear it and it's gone before you even think about it. Your next thought, you just can't seem to retain the Word of God. I tell you, it's not time for you to pray and ask God to speak louder. It's time for you to change your heart and start focusing on the things of the Lord. In verse 16, this is Mark chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus begins to start talking about the second type of person that heard the Word of God. In verse 16, it says, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the Word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the Word's sake, immediately they are offended." Now, before I get into specifically describing this second type of person who heard the Word of God, let me make another statement. And I believe that this parable is also describing progressive steps towards fruitfulness. And I believe that's important that you understand this. The Lord gave four different types of people's hearts and how the Word of God was able to... uh, interact with their heart and bring forth fruit. He described four different types, but I believe there are also four different stages. And I'm saying this based in large degree on my own personal experience. And so I'm not going to present this as a thus saith the Lord, an emphatic truth from the Word of God. But it looks to me like in my own personal experience and what I see dealing with people, that these are steps, stages towards fruitfulness. You first of all go through a stage to where you hear the Word of God, but your heart isn't set on it. You aren't seeking after the things of God. It goes in one ear and out the other. That's the first type of person that we've already described. This second type of person is a person who gets excited about the Word of God, but they don't have root in themselves. The end result is they don't bear fruit either. The third type of person is a person who does get excited about the Word of God, they do get a root. The Word of God begins to germinate and start producing life in them, but then they get distracted by the things of this world. The Scripture here says the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things. And then ultimately, the fourth type of person is a person who really nurtured and took care of the Word of God, focused on it, wasn't distracted by the things of this world, and they produced some 30, 60, and some 100-fold. I believe that there are steps towards that. In my own life, I got born again when I was eight years old. And I can't tell you all the reasons why, but for whatever reason, just being a typical kid, I was focused on, you know, the other, my other friends in the church. I was thinking about what we were going to do after church and stuff like this. And I didn't really let the Word of God meditate and uh, come into my life. I was one of these kids that read my Bible every single day. We had daily Bible readings. And I read it. But somehow or another, I can't even explain it, it just didn't penetrate. It didn't... And that did to a degree. I didn't get into a lot of the sin and a lot of the problems that maybe some of you did. And so I'm not saying it had no effect, but it didn't have the effect that it should have had on my life. It was like the Word coming in one ear and out the other. Just like this first type of person... I didn't understand the Word. It wasn't impacting me. But then I had this experience with the Lord on March the 23rd, 1968. And man, I got excited about the Word of God. I don't think you've ever seen anybody more excited about God and about His Word than I was. But 
there was a period of time where that word wasn't rooted on the inside of me. I was living off of other people's revelation. They're teaching about the word, not my personal relationship. And because of it, even though I was excited, there was great things going on on the inside. As far as the fruit that came through my life, there still wasn't that much fruit. I was in this second stage when the Lord used this parable to really speak into my life. This happened somewhere around 1972. I got married October the 27th of 1972, and I remember that it was just prior to that, and then not very long after uh, we got married, that the Lord just, I mean, boom, made this teaching on the sower sows the word a revelation in my life. So I remember the year that it happened, and I tell you, this has changed my life. But it says here in verse 16, Mark 4, 16, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Stony ground here just means ground that has a lot of rocks in it, things like that, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Now, I specifically related to that because after I had this experience, March the 23rd, 1968, I tell you what, I fell in love with the Lord and the word of God just became powerful in my life. I was so excited over it. I couldn't open up the Bible without hearing God talk directly to me. Not just through the pages. He would use these scriptures, but it was God speaking directly to me. I was excited about it. But I was frustrated too because I was seeing the potential. I was seeing what God wanted in my life. I was seeing it in my heart, but I wasn't seeing it on the outside. So there was frustration, and I wasn't really bearing fruit. And so I began to relate to the second type of person that the Lord is describing here, a person who gets excited over the Word of God. They receive it with gladness, but they're frustrated, and they don't see it bring forth fruit. Now let me make a couple of comments here that I've observed in people since this time. Uh, I, there is a tendency among people to be, I don't know how to say this other than to say that they're shallow. There's a tendency with some people that they are very demonstrative outwardly, but everything in their life is outward. There's not any depth in their own personal life. Now, I don't understand all the reasons for that, but I'm just telling you in my dealings with people, I see this, that there are some people that are just shallow. Everything is all about the external, but they don't have very much depth on the inside. And because of this, I have seen a lot of people sit in my meetings, get so excited over the Word of God that you just think this is awesome. They are totally transformed. But I've come to realize that there are some people that it's all show and no go. It's all just, you know, smoke and mirrors. There's not any real commitment in their heart. And so over the years, I've gotten to a place to where actually what I kind of enjoy seeing in people more than just some kind of like where they stand up and start shouting or they're so excited they're jumping up and down in their chair while I'm preaching. Now again, some people can do that and it's okay. But I've gotten to a place where what I really like is to see a person at first, you can tell they're being impacted, but they think about it and they're deliberate and it takes a little bit of time before they really commit themselves because I've learned that sometimes these people who are just so excited at first they don't ever let the Word take root on the inside of them. There is a period of being rooted in the Word where that is necessary. 
for you to be able to produce fruit. Let me illustrate this by using an example. When I was in the sixth grade, I remember this very vividly that my sixth grade teacher took two identical terrariums, you know, a glass jar. And I mean, they were big ones, about like this. And he put in one of those, he put about an inch worth of dirt. And in the other one, he must have put, I don't know, seven or eight inches worth of dirt in that. He planted tomato seeds in both of these things on the exact same day. This was part of our class project. He put them in the exact same spot so they got the same light and everything. He watered them exactly the same every day. And he asked questions about which one do you think is going to grow and uh, which one is going to produce. Well, you know, to my surprise, the one that was in only an inch of dirt, it sprung up first. And I bet you that that tomato seed that was in an inch of dirt was probably a foot tall before the other tomato seed even began to start showing, pushing up above the ground. Now, on first glance, you would think, well, boy, the one that's in small amount of dirt is doing better. But what it was, when you only have a small amount of dirt, that seed has to put all of its energy into growing above the ground because it didn't have any room for roots. There wasn't enough soil to put roots down. So the life that was in that seed went all vertical. It went all above ground. It looked good at first. And, you know, many people, it's all about appearances with them. They don't really care about long-term results. They're short-term thinkers. And many people, if they see somebody just, you preach one message on healing and they get excited saying, I've got it, I'll never have another problem. And they're just demonstrative with this. They think that's wonderful. But you know what, really... There needs to be a period of time where you take those truths that you've learned and I don't care how much it's excited you, you need to let it take root on the inside of you. And so anyway, in this experiment, the one that only had an inch worth of dirt, that thing grew nearly a foot tall before the other one even began to start poking out of the ground. But within a very short period of time, because there wasn't enough root to uh, sustain the growth in the one with only an inch of earth, this other plant that had grown up began to turn pale and white and it wound up falling over and shriveling up and the thing died because it didn't have a root system to sustain the growth. The other one that started much slower above ground as far as what we could see, it grew and it began to start being a full plant. We had to put a stake in there. The thing began to start producing tomatoes and the thing brought forth fruit. And I learned a lesson there that you know what, a seed has to first of all grow underground. It has to start producing roots before it produces fruit. Now in the spiritual realm, there's a lot of people that they don't like the root stage. They don't like letting something just take root on the inside of you and getting established in it. They just want to skip all of this and get to the fruit just as quickly as they can. So therefore, they don't have very much depth of earth in their life. They don't have their heart isn't totally committed to that truth. And so they may look like they're growing faster than somebody else. But you know what the end result is going to be? That they can't sustain that growth. They're going to wind up shriveling up and dying the first little hardship that comes along. And the word isn't going to produce fruit in their life. If you want to be a person who really produces fruit and sees the word of God work, it's not going to happen overnight. You can't microwave your miracle. It takes time. There is seed 
time and harvest. You've heard me say this before, but sometimes it's seed, time, and then harvest. It takes a period of time. And you've got to let the Word of God just stay rooted on the inside of you. You've got to not back off of it. You've got to keep digging and keep looking for greater revelation. Don't just take the surface revelation of what the Word of God says. But go back to those scriptures and say, Lord, have I gotten everything out of this scripture that I need to know? And you've got to let that Word take root on the inside of you. Failure to do this is probably the number one reason why people aren't seeing greater fruit manifest in their life. They just aren't giving the time. There's a lot of people that know a scripture, by his stripes we're healed, and they just take that one little concept, they spend five minutes thinking about it, and they think, I've got it. Now I ought to be able to be healed. No, you need to meditate on that scripture and meditate on that scripture and spend days and weeks and months and years focusing on that and applying it to your life until this gets so rooted and established on the inside of you that nothing can pull it up. You know, when I was a kid, it was my job. We lived on about a little over half acre uh, parcel of ground. We lived in the neighborhood, but our yard was a half acre and we had 23 pecan trees in that yard. I know that different places call them pecan trees, but you know, I was brought up that that's what you use if you don't want to get up and go all the way out to the outhouse. We called them pecan trees, amen. We had 23 of them in our yard. And it was my job to go pull up these little tiny pecan trees that started growing. You know, those pecans would fall, and if you stepped on them, and if they got in the ground, those pecans would would, uh, germinate, and they'd start producing a plant. And like most typical kids, I didn't want to spend my time going pulling up these little pecan trees. I mean, we had hundreds of them all throughout that grass. And so what I would do, I'd be out playing and I'd see one, but I didn't want to stop playing to pull up that pecan tree. So what I'd do is wait until the thing got tall enough that my parents could see it from inside the house. And when they would see it, they'd say, Andy, you need to go out there and pull up that pecan tree. And so I'd wait until then. But you know what I learned pretty quickly was that if you let a pecan tree get a foot tall, there's about three feet of roots underneath the ground. There's three times as much growth underneath the ground as there is above the ground. And if I waited until the pecan tree got a foot tall to go get, I'd have to get a shovel and dig it up because it was so rooted you couldn't pull it up. I learned that if I wanted to do it the easy way, I had to get that thing when it was about an inch tall and then you could just grab it and pull the thing out. Well, it's the same thing. Satan comes against you and he would love to get you to where you don't have any depth of root in your life because then he can come against you and he can just steal that word. He can come and pull that thing up. But if those roots ever get planted and you get a good root system, I guarantee you, you could withstand a hurricane. You can stand against the troubles and the trials and the hardships that come in life. But a lot of people are just like this second type of person that the Lord is describing. They can't bring forth fruit, not because they aren't excited about the Word of God, not because they don't love it. They do love it. They just haven't taken time to let the Word take root on the inside of them.